Left Weekly Radio. There's one newspaper that is independent of powerful capitalist interests, and that is Green Left Weekly. It's the people's voice committed to human and civil rights, ecological sustainability, democracy, and equality. It presents ideas that the mainstream media won't. Green Left is a leading source of local, national, and international news with analysis, discussion, and debate to strengthen the anti-capitalist movement. It helps expose the lies of the capitalist press and puts the voices of the marginalised and the oppressed at the centre of fighting for a better world and helps us understand the political developments unfolding around us. Hello everyone, you are listening to Green Left and my name is Jacob and I'm going to be your presenter for this program today. And for our program, we're very happy um, we're going to be having a discussion with Michael Fox, who is a longtime multimedia journalist and radio reporter based in Brazil. And I guess talking a bit about some of his work, we're going to be having a bit of a discussion with him about Brazilian politics, you know, what is the kind of state uh, and the situation there, and of course, what we could potentially learn from it. And Michael has some intensive experience covering the rise and fall, uh, well, not the fall, unfortunately, um, the rise of the and the government of Jar Bolsonaro very closely. And, of course, he's also had experience being the former editor of the NACLA report on the Americas, the former director of video production at Telesur um, English, and a former member of the steering committee of the daily radio news show F. S-R-N. And of course, Michael Fox, as a journalist, has also and has reported for publications such as the NPR, PRI's The World, DW, The Nation, Business Insider, The Intercept, and AJ Plus, and numerous other news outlets. And he's also had some experience producing, he produced the Venezuela Analysis um, podcast for many years. So, so yeah, um, it's great to have you, Michael. Thank you so much for having me. And I guess maybe to start off this discussion for our listeners is maybe we can sort of have a bit, start off by having a bit of a discussion about, you know, as of kind of today um, and as it's kind of being recorded, what is really the kind of current sort of political situation in Brazil, especially for those who are, who are a bit disconnected to it and um, not necessarily following it that closely, especially since, yeah, maybe I'll pass on to you, Michael, to start this off. Well, you know, the, uh, we're two years into the government of, of President Jair Bolsonaro, far right President Jair Bolsonaro. Um, we've obviously the, the big news that is hitting the country hard is coronavirus. Uh, we're into the second wave and, um, and things are, are tip, ticking off, uh, just as bad as they were back in May. And of course, it's been just a, a complete disaster. Um, the, the Bolsonaro's government has not had a clear plan from the very beginning, even the vaccine plan that they were supposed to turn in uh, in the beginning of December to the, the Supreme Court didn't have a timeline for when it would actually start and end. Um, Bolsonaro himself says he's not going to take the vaccine. The Supreme Court just said that it's mandated. Uh, and so what we've seen since the very beginning of this this coronavirus uh, debacle, this 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 pandemic is that. Bolsonaro has been fighting it every step of the way. And so that is kind of overshadowing much of politics in in Brazil today. Um, and we just had local elections 
um, which which we can get into a little bit. But you know, the, the the biggest point, the most important point, is just the fact that Bolsonaro has taken a country that just a few years ago, you know, under former President Luis Ignacio Lula da Silva and Dilma Rousseff from the Workers Party, uh, that had really risen on the global stage. Millions had been lifted out of poverty. Uh, and of course, following in the, the congressional coup against Rousseff in 2016, the government of Michel Temer, and then Bolsonaro has really just ran it into the ground, been pushing privatizations, uh, neoliberal push, the gutting of social, social programs, in particular the indigenous and environmental agencies, you know, helping to empower illegal land grabbers and landowners to 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 move on, set fires and deforest and move on to indigenous territories. So it's just um in it's 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 an overall extremely concerning moment. The one kind of light at the end of the tunnel is that Bolsonaro's approval ratings is slipping now and but slipping in particular due to the fact that his government has now uh, it's cutting the monthly stipend for coronavirus that it had been giving to low wage and informal workers since the very beginning of the pandemic. This began back in March or April, um, and they started to give uh, low wage workers, informal sector workers, roughly a little over $100 a month uh, to get by because the situation was so complicated. Um, and this lasted up until September when they cut it in half, and now they announced that they're going to be you know, cutting it at the end of the year. And so it really seems like, according to all the latest um, statistics and analysts, that A, Bolsonaro's approval is going to drop, take a, a pretty massive hit here in the beginning of January, but it also is going to mean that we're going to see a, a substantial rise in, in the number of Brazil's poor as people are really left um, at this moment of the worst moment of Brazil's pandemic ever, and people don't have the support that they need to be supported by. Yeah, so you've kind of raised a lot of kind of interesting kind of points in relation to what's happening in Brazil. I want to sort of maybe we'll focus, I guess, a few kind of questions on some of the kind of key aspects. And I guess the first sort of aspect I wanted to sort of have a discussion with you about is you mentioned Bolsonaro's kind of um, lowered kind of approval ratings and you kind of attributed sort of one kind of cause there. But I kind of want to hear a bit of a story from you, I guess, on how what what was the kind of basis by which Bolsonaro kind of got elected the first time and then maybe bringing it to his current kind of approval ratings and his sort of handling of the COVID-19 pandemic and how that sort of all kind of intersects because it might have, you know, in some ways a similar kind of story um, to, say, Donald Trump in the United States who was first elected in 2016 and then lost the election, obviously, this year. Absolutely. And the story, this is exactly what I was going to say. The story is, uh, it's, it's a, it's almost an exact parallel. When the people talk about, you know, the Trump of the tropics, that's what they call Bolsonaro. This is, this is, this is really what we see. And so if you can envision Trump, if you know any of the, the Trump reality where he, you know, he survives off of fake news, uh, his social media platform and social media campaign, um, he's got roughly a third you know, maybe a third of the country who support him, you know, somewhere between 30 to 40 percent always had that, um, you know, obviously has an important base in, in, in white supremacists. And he's been empowering white supremacists since the beginning. This is Bolsonaro. All of those points are, are the exact same. The difference with Bolsonaro is he's a former military captain under the dictatorship uh, and a longtime congressman. So although 
he, you know, he was seen as an outsider because beforehand he was just, you know, he was just reelected to Congress, obviously, but it was seen as, as, as almost humorous because his ideas were just so extreme. He actually, in the early days, he actually called for the disbanding of Congress and the return of the dictatorship. Uh, you know, he, racist, sexist, misogynistic, um, rhetoric continually. And I think he's been fined for that, that rhetoric. Uh, in Congress and elsewhere, um, he came to power largely. And again, you know, in the same way that, 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 that Trump was elected in kind of this backlash against Obama, right? Uh, Bolsonaro was elected. We have to understand the, the context. This happened in the, the days or the years following the coup against Dilma Rousseff, first off. Many, if you look at how fascist governments come into power, it's usually a situation where there's kind of a political crisis. Um, and then the left is blamed. It could be the communists, it could be the socialists, but the left is blamed for that political crisis. And then kind of the, the, the far right fascist movement is able to take advantage of that moment, uh, blaming corruption, even though they're oftentimes more corrupt. Um, and then they use that pushing, you know, the fake news kind of destroying, trying to, to destroy the system itself. Uh, and, and they come in kind of imploding and saying they're going to unite everybody against their project. And this was almost a carbon copy of what we've seen in other situations of kind of uh, fascist rhetoric or fascist regimes where they come into power. So that's what we had. Um, you had just like you had in, in Italy where Berlusconi was elected in Italy. Did the same situation here. You had uh, an anti-corruption um, task force, an anti-corruption long going investigation um, the, the Workers' Party was specifically blamed. And in fact, in the 2016 elections, the Workers' Party lost very, very big because through the media and through the courts, um, the Workers' Party was seen as really be, being the root of this corruption in, in all of Brazilian corruption, which was just not the case. In fact, if you look at statistics, that is actually false, but that's how it was framed, obviously. Um, Dilma Rousseff was was taken out in a congressional coup, which was a coup because it was very clearly they used um, everyday budget maneuvers. Um, and they said that that was illegal. And that's what they used to take it out. And then the day after she was actually impeached, <laughs> then the Senate legalized the very same maneuvers that she had specifically been impeached under. Um, and that did had actually nothing to do with the corruption. Um, and so she was taken out. With, with the idea and the goal of implementing and, 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 and putting into, a, in, in, into effect, uh, you know, a, a neoliberal system. And that's what we've seen immediately after her election. Then Michelle Temer, her vice president, came to power. Um, the, the Congress and the Senate, they froze public spending uh, and they put a public spending cap actually on, on, on the budget for the next 20 years. Um, and, you know, they did a labor reform. And that's where Bolsonaro comes to power now. In the lead up to the 2018 elections, uh, former President Lula seemed like a shoe in in Brazil. Even if you've you've been in power once and been reelected, you can then come back to power uh, and it looked like Lula was going to win. Of course, Lula was convicted on trumped up charges by a biased judge. And we know that he was biased, according to the intercept revelations of these telegram messages of um, that were passed between members of the 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 anti-corruption task force in which it showed that actually the judge who's supposed to be impartial was actually guiding the prosecution the investigations there was no actual evidence against lula 
And in fact, what you had was all based off of plea bargain, bargain testimony, which, which Sergio Mora, the judge, had uh, you know, helped encourage to change enough times that Lula would actually be convicted. So uh, it was you know, a very much a, a biased conviction. He was jailed in April of 2018, and his jailing meant that he was blocked from being able to return to power. And so amid all of this kind of insane system, then you had Bolsonaro who came in saying he was going to you know, end corruption, end the left, uh, and attack activism, um, and, and, and kind of turn everything on its head. And in fact, he, he put in a mass wave of the far right, which, 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 which was elected into not just Bolsonaro, but many people wrote in on kind of his coattails across Congress and Senate and whatnot. And, and this is where he stood. Now, he also brought in with him, um, stacked his, his government with uh, evangelicals, with conspiracy theorists, with the largest amount of military officials that we had seen in any government since the end of the dictatorship in 1985. Um, and so this is really kind of how he came to power uh, and also pushing this kind of fake news social media campaign. Um, and then, you know, what he's been doing in, in the year since has been kind of really gutting the, the, the democratic systems as much as possible. Although Brazil's democratic systems have been holding on and particularly the Supreme Court, and we've seen a lot of conflict between Bolsonaro and the Supreme Court, which has really been pushing back on him. Uh, and of course, his, his supporters do not like that. And so this is, this is, this is the context with it, within which we find Bolsonaro at, at this moment. Yeah. So you've given quite a good kind of summary of, I think, the context, I think, for Bolsonaro and, of course, what his, you know, electoral kind of promises on and what he kind of planned to do as president of Brazil. And I guess now going into a kind of specific, what has, I guess, been the legacy of that in terms of this whole year in Brazilian politics? Because I guess this whole year has been a bit of a tsunami, especially for the whole world, as COVID-19 has kind of hit the entire world. And of course, Brazil is one of the worst sort of countries globally in terms of cases next to the United States, um, with at least 25,000 cases a day, although I heard it could be even higher than that. And in fact, it has been as high as 60,000 cases a day. But of course, the deaths have been over 187 um, 187,000. Um, so what, what has overall been the kind of handling of Bolsonaro, especially since you set up such a great sort of context for his administration? Because I guess this would be the sort of first test on what he can, what he's actually going to do, what he actually did and how he's probably made the situation worse. Well, that's, well, that's exactly been it. It hasn't been handling. It's been mishandling and mishandling since the very beginning. Um, you know, he, he never came out with a plan. In fact, from the very beginning, he was saying this was not a big deal. Everyone just had to get back to work. What's more concerning was the economy. In fact, when, when Brazil passed the number of deaths, uh, from the people that died in China from coronavirus, uh, a journalist at the time, this was just two months into the pandemic, asked him and they said, well, what does this mean? These deaths? And he said, so what? What do you want me to do about it? Um, so this, these callish remarks, obviously, um, have been extremely concerning. He's battled with local governors over, in, in the early days, it was over social restrictions and quarantine measures, which many governors, many, you know, the, the local states actually wanted to um, implement a much more uh, robust social restriction measures. Uh, and now he's battling over vaccines, right? He's, uh, there, there's, uh, Sao Paulo has just been receiving 
uh, vaccines that they're expected to start to to roll out in the coming weeks. And a few months ago, he had said, no, 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 we're not doing that. We won't. It just won't be approved because I won't approve a Chinese vaccine because Sao Paulo made the agreement with with China. Now, it looks like the states are going to be allowed to have their own specific agreements to acquire vaccine for their own specific states because they don't necessarily trust the national government plan. He cycled through three different um, uh, three different health ministers because they wouldn't um, tag his line of basically pushing hydroxychloroquine uh, and chloroquine, which is, of course, was the unproven anti-malarial drug that he himself took when he came down with with coronavirus several months ago. Uh, and he's been touting this from 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 day one. Of course, remember, Trump also took hydroxychloroquine when he got sick. Uh, and it was just a couple of days ago that, you know, Bolsonaro says he's not going to get the vaccine. In fact, people might he, he was talking about how you, you don't know what could happen. You might turn into a crocodile. You don't know, uh, you know, what might happen to you if you take the vaccines. But hydroxychloroquine is still the way to go. So that's what he keeps pushing, which is just ridiculous. Um but it has been a, really a, a, a mishandling since the very beginning. Now, the, what, Bols, what Brazil has going for it and what's extremely important is the fact that Brazil has an extremely robust universal healthcare system uh, that is found across the country. Now, of course, it is not necessarily equal. Uh, there are certain areas, if you go to the, the favelas outside of Rio de Janeiro and Sao Paulo or up in the north and northeast, which are poor states in general, it doesn't have the same uh, robust health system that you have, say, in the South and other areas. But regardless, this is this has kept Brazil afloat, despite the numbers, you know, 180,000 dead, despite the rising case count uh, each week. Um, what has kept the country afloat has been this universal health care system. I cannot imagine a country that had only, a, a you know, a, a private health care system. Uh, we would see the, the death count so much higher. Uh, also, Brazil has had a long experience fighting and battling viruses and diseases. Remember, Brazil is kind of ground zero for malaria, uh, chikungunya, um, uh, dengue, and of course, Zika, Zika virus that, that, that really hit, you know, hit Brazil hard and Latin America hard about five years ago. Uh, and so the, the health systems here and the health research institutes are extremely robust and very, very, um, and very, very, they, they have just a lot of experience. And so this has kept Brazil alive because on the ground, these people have been doing their work despite um, Bolsonaro's uh, lack of guidance. Of course, the health minister that he ended up going with and the person who's been guiding the health ministry for months is a man by the name of Eduardo Pazuello, who has no health experience. He had no health experience when he took that job. He's a he's an army general. Uh, and that's essentially what Bolsonaro wanted. He wanted a yes man who would be in there and would do Bolsonaro's bidding. Um, and he, even he is pushed back on Bolsonaro sometimes. So it has been uh, extremely concerning since day one. And remember, like Australia, Brazil is headed into summer right now. Um, and that means it's headed into summer vacations. The beaches are packed. I live in Florianópolis, which is one of the main areas where, you know, I, I think our ICU units are, I think we're at almost capacity for the hospitals here, you know, roughly around 100% if it's not, you know, 94, 95 and many cities are in that very similar situation, but the states and the governors do not want to roll back on lockdowns. In fact, it was there was a lockdown that was attempted in a city in Rio de Janeiro, and Bolsonaro supporters came out and actually protested it. Um, and so they're expecting that the same thing would happen. And they they just after having social restrictions and then reopening the economy, um, it, it's just not going to happen to 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 go back on lockdown. And that's concerning because. 
the, the local health research institutes say that what we're going to be seeing right now, it's, it's bad now, coronavirus, but in a few weeks after we've gone through summertime and people are out uh, and not socially isolating, and even though there's a mask mandate, m- many people are not wearing their masks, that here at the beginning of January, things are going to really, really turn for the worst. And I guess the next kind of thing kind of talk about is most um quite recently um you mentioned this there were um there were some elections that happened recently in brazil um municipal elections between um the 15th of november and the 29th and i guess how has the what has been the what was what were the kind of results of that election because elections can sometimes tell us a bit about where the kind of consciousness of people are at, especially in response to a clearly sort of right wing government that has mishandled um, a global kind of pandemic. So I kind of want to hear what is sort of your analysis on on those those results. Yeah, well, the big takeaway is that Bolsonaro lost big. He, um, I think only one or two of the people that he supported actually won. And the elections were for local city council members and for mayor. So these were local elections. Uh, but that was the big takeaway because it really showed Bolsonaro's own kind of support and power to, to generate interest and to, to, to generate support um, is, is on the wane. Uh, now, part of this is also because of, due to the fact that he left the party that he was elected into the, the PSL, the Social Liberal Party. Um, and he said he, last year, he said he was going to form his new party, but he couldn't get enough signatures to form it in time to run in the elections. And so that was, that's partially obviously to blame because he didn't have a party machine behind him. But regardless, the, there was even one case where he supported a woman for mayor up in northeastern Brazil and her party came out and said that they, they kind of uh, they rejected his support because they said, well, look at all the other people that he's supporting. They're all losing. We don't want, we don't want your support. So that's one big takeaway. Now, at the same time, the, the, the right wing traditional parties, they picked up many seats. And so that is important to look at that while Bolsonaro and kind of his far right conspiracy theorist um, kind of agenda did not win, what won was the more still right, but more traditional right in Brazil. Um, and so that is important. They picked up many local seats. Now, what is also important, however, and this has been something that was not uh, reported um, adequately, was that the left held ground. They did not do bad. In fact, in many cases, they really took background that they lost back in the, in, in, the, in the local elections of 2016, which was in the middle of kind of this attack against the, the left, obviously. Um, in fact, there was one pundit during these elections who said that this was the worst loss for the workers party in 40 years which is just a lie um what you saw back in 2016 just some examples the workers party went from the sixth to the tenth largest party in terms of the number of mayors of cities over 200,000. uh well this last time it rose back to seventh um it, it won four major four big cities the peso, which was kind of a, a breakaway from the Workers' Party back in the early 2000s, it won Belém, which is the capital of the Pará, the state of Pará, which is one of the largest states in the Amazon there. Um, and um, and there's a fascinating graph which shows 26 state capitals, and, and the Workers' Party actually rose from the fifth to the second largest political party in terms of the number of elected city council members. So these kind of statistics show us that at the same time as Bolsonaro is losing, the left is holding itself. Uh, despite what the, the mainstream media is saying, uh, and the and the right in general, the traditional right has kind of picked up some speed. Um, 
But this question about Bolsonaro losing ground is important because, you know, looking at 2022, because that's, you know, that's when he's going to be up for re-election. Uh, and of course, um, there's this question, Donald Trump just lost. Uh, many people in Brazil were looking toward the United States to understand what, 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 me, what we might expect um, in 2022 for Brazil because of just the, 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 the parallels and the similarities between Bolsonaro uh, and Trump. Now, of course, Bolsonaro has still uh, retained his, you know, third of the, of the population, somewhere between 35 and 40 percent that are adamant supporters, just like in the case of just like in the case of Trump. Um, but it does look like it, he's going to have uh, his work cut out for him in, in the next couple of years here heading into the, the, the 2022 presidential elections. That's yeah. So that's sort of interesting, and I guess I want to sort of ask a question a bit about um, a few kind of think um, a few kind of questions are kind of raised by some of your points. I mean, what was the kind of reason for the rise in the traditional right? What do you think is sort of the reason for the rise in the voting base of the traditional right? Do you think that has something to do with the fact that just like Donald Trump, um, he's losing a certain amount of um, confidence from sections of the capitalist class, because I guess from my understanding of the when Bolsonaro got um, first got elected, he did have a significant um, level of support from capital. Uh, is he sort of losing ground from that? And I guess the second is there is there um, a lot of these a lot of these sort of right wing sort of authoritarian sort of fascistic kind of leaders like for example Modi in India um, and Donald Trump in the United States and also Duterte in the Philippines. One of the things that they all have in common is they do have a very sort of supportive kind of support base, like a very sort of active kind of support base. Something in a certain way that we wouldn't like coming from Australia, we just don't have that that supporter base, loyal supporter base doesn't exist for even the most right-wing kind of conservative kind of parties. It's all, it's a bit of a sort of split sort of base. And I guess what can you tell us is that, is there such, is that sort of thing exist in Brazil in the context of Bolsonaro's popularity and how is it, how will it impact on Brazilian politics, especially if um, um, Brazil sees a similar situation to the US and Bolsonaro loses next election? Yeah, so he absolutely has a loyal supporter base, uh, and they are the people are very active over social media, uh, and you know, and they are more. So never very big, but they're they're willing to to protest ne when necessary. In fact, they're they're planning a protest just in the coming days um, against the Supreme Court ruling that would make the vaccines mandatory here in Brazil. They, of course, they, they saw that as an attack against their freedom uh, and they exploded on social media the day after this happened, uh, making a hashtag go viral calling for the Ukrainization of Brazil. So the kind of the division of Brazil, the imploding of Brazil. It needs to be understood. Part of this actually walks back to the legacy of the dictatorship um, in Brazil. So Brazil, as compared to many other countries in Latin America, it, there was never a reckoning for the, the human rights violations, for the disappearances, for the torture. Um, it, it just kind of moved on and they were never able to hold people accountable. Uh, and, and I was doing some reporting on this just earlier this year and speaking with um, a professor who kind of focuses on this, on, on the dictatorship past and on, on the history. And she said, 
absolutely that this um, leaves an, an, an important, in order to understand Brazil at this moment, you have to understand the impact that still has, because many elderly folks still talk, uh, they, they, they talk, you know, they, they look back on the dictatorship eras as a time of stability and a time of safety. Um, Brazil is a very, very, very big country. So it wasn't like a country like in, in Uruguay where, you know, like it was, I, I think something like one third of the families knew, had someone uh, who was tortured. Uh, you know, there was like these deep connections with, with the impact of the government. Whereas Brazil, things are so diverse uh, and dispersed around the country, though the impact of kind of the, the, the human rights violations and the disappearances and the attacks and the, and the killings and, and, the, um, and the torture was not necessarily so felt uh, everywhere around the country. And um, you have a substantial portion of the country, somewhere around 10, maybe 10 to 15 percent, that actually were calling for military intervention in, in, in recent years. Uh, and so these people want the military to intervene. They would be extremely happy with kind of the, the overthrow of a democratic government. Uh, and in fact, we saw these constant protests happening against social restrictions in favor of Bolsonaro. People were out every single weekend in Brasilia back in April and May, you know, calling for the, the disbanding of Congress and calling for the end of the Supreme Court, which just seems just insane uh, in, in, in a democratic country. But this is the legacy that Brazil carries with it. And that's part of the reason why they, you know, why Bolsonaro won, because he represented the military vote for the first time in, in many ways. It was, it was symbolically a return to the military regime, right, of, 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 the, of the 1960s, 70s, and 80s. Uh, and so absolutely he has these, these loyal supporters. There's also a very loyal liberal base. Uh, and when I say liberal, I mean libertarian. Now, some of them have kind of broke from Bolsonaro, but they were key in his rise to power uh, and still kind of form, you know, uh, kind of key allies in his government. And then there's also, of course, the evangelical vote, which is key. And in order to understand the evangelical vote, again, this is another one of those parallels with, with the United States, whereas the United States, I think it's roughly a third of the country that's now evangelical. In Brazil, it's roughly 25%. Um, and uh, you know, Bolsonaro was married by one of the most rabid uh, evangelical pastors in, in Rio de Janeiro uh, a few years ago. And, um, and these people are very, very active. And in fact, I was interviewing some of them a couple of years ago. Uh, and they're very clear that they have a clear goal and they want to have a say about every aspect of Brazilian politics, every aspect around the country. And that's, that's the direction they're headed. And this came about, I mean, we have to look back into the 1980s when roughly, you know, if you go back to kind of um, the, uh, what do you call it? The, when, when the Catholic church and the Catholic organizing in many of Brazil's poorest communities started to pull out um, kind of at, at the waning air end of kind of the liberation theology and things like that, then who filled that void were, were the evangelicals and the evangelicals churches. And so they've been organizing those regions for a very long time. Uh, and they saw in Bolsonaro their guy. Um, and they were very, very active. In fact, um, there were situations where there was a, a massive women's protest organizing in, in kind of the lead up to his election that was very similar to what we saw in the women's organizing just after Trump's victory, right, in 2016. Um, and so you had this massive women's 
organizing happening here in Brazil and the evangelical preachers kind of were able to flip it on its head, neutralize it using fake news um, and, and tying it to, you know, to, to sinful acts and whatnot. Uh, and, and, and Bolson actually, he actually won. Uh, yeah, we actually, t t he was, he was able to take advantage of that and help him even kickstart his campaign even more. So these types of things are extremely hard to kind of pin down. And of course, there's the white supremacist movement, which is very similar to, to Trump. Uh, there is a, a there's a, a growing neo-Nazi movement here. Brazil had the largest Nazi party outside of Germany back in the 1930s. Uh, and that has is partially due to the very high number of German immigrants into Brazil at the time and kind of the turn of the century. Um, and so all of these details are important to understand kind of the composition of, of, of Bolsonaro's base, but also understand that, you know, th these folks are loyal and they're going to stick with him you know, through and through, even as many other people are saying, listen, this guy is just too much. Uh, he's not guiding the country in the right direction. I still want somebody on the right. Uh, and then they, they turn more to the traditional or the centrone. The centrone is kind of the, 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 the traditional center, center right parties, um, that kind of makes up the bulk of Congress. You know, Congress, Brazilian Congress is, is the most conservative it's, it's ever been. And it's been increasingly more and more conservative. Um, and so, of course, for Bolsonaro, that's good because he's able to kind of push through things. But as of recently, even though he came into office saying, oh, I'm not going to make deals and I'm not going to embrace those from even the more traditional right parties, he's been doing that more and more and incorporating more and more of the, of the center right parties into his cabinet and his, into his government to realize that he's got to make these deals in order to kind of push through the things that he wants happening in, in the capital of Brasilia. And that, I guess, brings us to, I guess, another kind of important sort of discussion, which is what has been, I guess, the record of Bolsonaro in terms of environmental destruction in Brazil, because Brazil is a very important place, uh, especially uh, for being the place of the Amazon rainforest. And I guess what has, I guess, been the response of Indigenous communities and grassroots kind of resistance to this kind of environmental destruction by the Bolsonaro administration? Well, this is probably the key area that after coronavirus, this is the key area that we hear, we you always hear talking about is <clears throat> Bolsonaro's destruction of the Amazon, um, his gutting of Indigenous environmental agencies. Uh, and that is all absolutely the truth, you know. Um, two years ago was when we really, we, you know, when the news of the Amazon fires really kicked off around the country and you saw protests, not just in Brazil, but around the world uh, against Bolsonaro and his handling of the Amazon fires. Well, what's, what people don't know is that this year, the Amazon fires were even worse than they were last year, uh, even though we didn't hear about it because of, obviously there's coronavirus, there's the fires, uh, there was the fires in Australia, there's the fires up over in, on the West Coast in the United States. And so it didn't get as much media coverage, but the fires this year and deforestation was the worst in, in, in a decade. Um, and much of that can be can, uh, attributed to Bolsonaro. His government, his moving in, he, he, he was very clear since the very beginning saying, listen, I, I'm gonna open up the Amazon for development. Um, we can't give more land to indigenous communities. We can't give more land to black traditional communities. We need to develop it and incorporate these the indigenous peoples into into society, which is uh, which was the analysis of the military dictatorship. So he's basically 
rolled back despite the the 1988 constitution which said that you know indigenous peoples um and black traditional communities have the right to their land he's basically rolling back to the days of the dictatorship which basically says listen these people can't be off in their own areas and we need to um th that's land that we should be that that should be used in fact he's been pushing just most recently pushing to to open up mining in, on indigenous territories. Uh, and it has been disastrous for indigenous communities. I've been doing a lot of reporting on this um, for NPRs, you know, PRIs, the world, um, and speaking with a lot of, of different indigenous communities around the country. Uh, and what they've been seeing is this influx of um, illegal land grabbers. This is basically people that move on to indigenous land. They take that land, they say uh, it was theirs, and they start to sell it off. And of course, they deforest it, they cut it down. Of course, you know, it's important to remember that, you know, fires don't start themselves in the Amazon. Uh, they have to be lit. And in order to light them so that it will actually catch, you have to cut that land down first. So you have to kind of clear cut it. So what happens is we already knew as of May of this year that this was going to be the worst season for fires that Brazil had seen in a decade. And why was that? It's because the, the deforestation that we had seen in the Amazon region for the nine months prior had been the worst period of deforestation in a decade. So we knew that once, you know, the dry season came and, and the Amazon is very clear, there's a wet season and dry season. Once that dry season starts to roll out in May, June, particularly July, and then August, and once they, you know, what people do is they, they, they cut down the land and then they let those trees and, and, and the, the former greenery sit there for a long time. And then they set it on fire and they blaze and they, and they, and, and, and they let it all go. Um, and so what Bolsonaro has done, he's basically empowered uh, large landowners, um, loggers, miners, illegal land grabbers to move on to conservation areas, indigenous lands. I was uh, I was speaking with um, the chief of the Caripuna tribe, which is in western in the western Amazon, who I've been in touch with for several years now, uh, and he sent me some pictures just a few months ago, uh, and the pictures were drone shots of their land. Now, just five or six years ago. Their land was absolutely pristine. It was Amazon jungle, um, exactly what you would imagine being Amazon jungle. But even if you look at Google Maps, which I did, you can see that there are roads in. There's areas that are now pockmarked. Uh, and what this drone footage shows was that whole areas of their land had been clear cut. It wasn't them that were doing it, but people that were moving in looking to take that land and sell it off. And of course, the land, much indigenous territory is very big and oftentimes indigenous people like his, his, I think there might be only 60 or 70 members of his tribe left and they live on one village in one corner of the land. And of course, they can't be protecting the land and, um, you know, all, all around their entire territory. Um, and so they can't be there at all times. And what happened was previously, you know, the, 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 the Environmental Protection Agency and the Indigenous Protection Agencies, that's what they did is they helped protect these land. If they found people or if they heard word of people out there, they would move in, they would find them, they would, they would take their equipment, people could be jailed. Um, that is still happening, but the amount that it's been happening has decreased exponentially because of the fact that funding for their agencies had been cut and slashed by the Bolsonaro government. So it's meant that and particularly with coronavirus, it's gotten even worse because people haven't been out there to really uh, be there to pay testament to what's happening, to be there to, um, to, to, to watch and to document 
when you know people are deforesting or, or are cutting down trees or trying to move on to indigenous territories and because of coronavirus that's made that more difficult and so it's meant that it's been uh it's been a bit of a free-for-all even more so this year than before with these uh, illegal groups and and, and then of course we're not, we haven't even mentioned legal minors you've got more than 20,000 legal minors that are on Yanomami land along the border with Venezuela. Um, and that has been extremely um, uh, uh, concerning for the Yanomami people there because, of course, these minors have brought in coronavirus, right? So really this year in particular, Indigenous peoples, they've been facing coronavirus, which has been attacking their communities. They've been facing the fires, um, right. That has been, and if it's not the fires on their land, it's the respiratory illnesses and whatnot from the smoke from these fires. They've been facing the, the, the direct attack on their land from illegal land grabbers and loggers and, and landowners. And they've, then, then there's been the gutting of, uh, of the indigenous environmental agencies by the, by the, the, the Bolsonaro government. And then we also have Bolsonaro's own push to open up their lands, um, for a, a extractive, um, you know, policies like mining. So no, the situation is, is very, very, um, concerning. Indigenous communities are, of course, holding on. And there are many different organizations that are, you know, fighting this around the country. But of course, Bolsonaro's response is to blame the fires on the NGOs. I don't know if, if, if your listeners remember this last year, but, you know, when the fires were kicking off, he said, well, it's not my fault. I'm not doing it. It's the NGOs that are lighting fires because they don't like me. Um, or to blame the fires on, um, on, on, on the international community saying that the international community, it's, it's, it's not there. They don't have a right to, to tell me what to do. This is our country. So it's a discourse. It's a defensive discourse that, that Bolsonaro always turns to, to say that it's not his fault, but obviously it has been, it's been disastrous and it looks like it's going to continue to be. Yeah. So just for this discussion, you've covered lots of different interesting aspects of, um, and a sort of good kind of summary of, the kind of political situation of um, in Brazil covering sort of um, Bolsonaro's sort of um, regime, his government, um, their hand in the COVID-19 pandemic, and, of course, most importantly, uh, the level of environmental destruction that has been unleashed by the Bolsonaro administration. I guess the next kind of point I kind of want to get onto is, um, from my knowledge, you are in the process drawing on your sort of journalist kind of experience working on a 12 kind of part kind of podcast um, about Brazilian politics. And I guess I want to use this kind of opportunity to hear from you about what is your kind of plans for this and tell us a kind of bit about it. Yeah, so this podcast is, for me, uh, it's uh, it's been something I've been working on for several years. Originally, it was going to be a book, uh, and then I realized that I was kind of on the ground in all of these places when things were happening. You know, I was in front of Bolsonaro's house uh, the day with with his supporters, the day he was elected, I've, I've been in the Amazon. I've been in tr with, with traditional Black communities that are fighting uh, their eviction from their territories because of um, deals between Brazil and the United States. Um, and so I realized that I had all this audio, I had all this experience, I had witnessed all this, um, and I needed to be able to tell this story in a way that that people could understand it because, you know, it's it's difficult to understand. Um, the intricacies of the support for Bolsonaro, what got him elected, who are his supporters, why are they still there, but also the impact his government has had on, you know, social movements, uh, on small farmers, on, on, on 
urban movements on people all around the country. And so the, the podcast itself, like you said, it's an 11 to 12 part series. Uh, I'm developing it in the coming months. I've launched a, a, a Kickstarter fundraiser to try and raise funds for this so I can just focus on this. Cause obviously as a journalist, I end up, Oh yeah, I'm going to focus on this. I'm going to do this. And I end up getting pulled aside to be able to, you know, to, 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 to do stories, to, to make money so we can pay the rent. Uh, and so I want to focus the next few months just on this. And the theme of it, kind of my tagline is that this is the story of Bolsonaro's rise, his far right government that's setting the country ablaze and how America helped him do it. Because the connection between, you know, as, as I've mentioned already several times, the connection between Brazil and the United States is so, so, so deep. And, you know, it's important to understand how culture war uh, has played its own role uh, on, on, on Bolsonaro's rise. And much of that culture war has been imported to a large extent, um, imported from the United States, you know, abortion rights, the evangelical movement, whatnot. And so there are so many kind of similarities. Bolsonaro's own, this is something a lot of people don't know, Bolsonaro's own far-right guru is a man by the name of Olavo de Carvalho. He's a traditionalist, far-right um, self-made philosophy philosopher. He lives uh, in rural Virginia, just outside of Richmond, which was the former capital of the Confederacy in the United States. He moved there, I think it was back in 2005. And then he founded uh, an online political school to teach his far-right philosophy to people across Brazil. And in fact, that many people attribute uh, his kind of philosophy and his organizing and his philosophical school, right, for kind of the rise of the right in a lot of ways, uh, and and it, which would then, of course, lead to Bolsonaro. So these intricacies of understanding these connections with the United States, how the Atlas Foundation in the U.S. has been funding liber libertarian groups in Brazil as well, and how those groups have been expanding and growing, uh, and and of course help help you know lift Bolsonaro to power. So there's a lot of connections there that are really, really important. And, it, and the podcast is essentially, listen, um, listeners are going to, you know, they're going to join me on, 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 on as, as I take them around the country to the, all these different areas. We start kind of just in the, in the lead up to, to the elections as violence is spiking um, and, 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 and racist deaths are happening, political deaths uh, against um, former, you know, Lula supporters and, and, and Bolsonaro's opponents. Uh, and we roll from there, you know, in, into understanding the supporters, Bolsonaro supporters, and on through to all, all the different facets of how his government has un unleashed, how, how his government has really set the country ablaze. So I'm super excited. Um, it's one of the most important things I'm, I will have been doing uh, in recent years and to be able to synthesize all this information uh, and, and I'm, I'm hoping to be able to, um, to roll it out, you know, at the, toward the, say, October of 2021. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for that, um, Michael. Um, I guess maybe we can kind of conclude, I guess, this discussion. Um, do you have, like, any final comments you would like to make? I, I would just say that, you know, <clears throat> Brazil, um, a lot of people don't know it's, it's, in the largest country uh, in the Americas. It's literally half the size and has half the population of South America. So you, if you combined all the rest of the the continent together, that would equal Brazil. And which is why it's so important economically um, and politically uh, 
And, you know, the connections and the ties, like I mentioned, with the United States run deep. Um, but also, you know, looking at this moment is very interesting as we see kind of this, the the return of the left in a lot of ways in, in the region, you know, with um, the Luis Arce, you know, Evo Morales is back in Bolivia, um, you know, the, the left won back Argentina, Chile is now um, going to be rolling out their new constitution. So you kind of have this, it's not the absolute return of the pink tide that we saw back in the 2000s, but it's definitely a rollback from the, the very scary moments that we saw, which was really epitomized by, by Bolsonaro's election back here a couple of years ago. Um, and that kind of gives hope uh, amid this, this moment. Of course, Trump lost in the United States. Um, but we also have to understand that the things that have been rolled out um, by Trump in the United States, by Bolsonaro here, are not things that are going to go away overnight. Um, and we need to understand the, the impact they can have in the future, how, how communities are, are resisting, um, and, um, and also so that the same mistakes aren't made in the future, wherever that might be. Well, thank you very much, uh, Michael. It's been fantastic having you on our program. Just to conclude it, you are listening to Green Left. And if you, for this, um, to to hear more kind of podcasts like this produced um, for Green Left, along with all the kind of other news and um, from the um, the activist movements um, that Green Left offers each week, um, consider becoming a supporter. Green Left is people-powered media, and as a grassroots publication, it thrives on the support of our supporters. And so if you enjoyed what you um what you heard consider becoming a supporter of green left it's only five dollars a month for the digital edition of green left and ten dollars a month for and um for the print edition and you can become a supporter of green left at greenleft.org.au forward slash support you are listening to green left i hope you got a lot out of this episode to continue producing shows like this we need your support Consider becoming a supporter for $5 a month, sharing this show on social media, and submitting your own stories. You can do all this at our website, greenleft.org.au.